Amen. Well, we're turning together this evening in the Word of God to the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the chapter 1. Paul's letter to the Colossians and the very first chapter. And we have been a couple of weeks in this chapter already uh, by way of introduction to uh, the epistle. And of course, once you start to look into the scriptures, and even verse by verse, there would be so much there uh, that we could take time on. And so this evening, I just want to focus in on a particular truth uh, that it might be a blessing to our hearts and then we can take time as the weeks progress in the will of the Lord to look further into this letter to the Colossians. So we're in chapter 1. We'll move down to the verse 13 as we take up our reading this evening. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. We'll just end there at the verse 20. And may the Lord add his own blessing to this reading from his own precious and infallible word. I want to draw your attention to the phrase at the end of verse 18. And this really is a key phrase in the whole letter to the Colossians. This is really giving us the theme of the epistle and the purpose of the Apostle Paul in his writing. And he's wanting the Colossians to see that in all things he might have the preeminence in all things he might have the preeminence and so that key thought that we want to keep before us as we work our way through this letter to the Colossians is the preeminence of Christ the preeminence of Christ now, during recent days that time of national mourning the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, we witnessed a tremendous display of royalty. All of the symbolism, all of the trappings of royalty, all of the majesty that was on display. 
those various ceremonies that took place and the lying in state and the whole funeral procession, what an impressive display it was of royalty and of majesty. And plans would already be afoot for the coronation of King Charles III. That time whenever the crown will be officially placed upon his head and no doubt the eyes of the world will all want to be witnessing that particular occasion whenever the king is crowned. And you know here in Colossians and in Colossians chapter 1 the apostle Paul is crowning the Lord Jesus. And he's wanting the Lord Jesus to be crowned and to be given his rightful place upon the throne. That he is in truth the king of glory. And the apostle Paul is crowning him even with those words that in all things he might have the preeminence. Preeminence. That's more than just prominence. Preeminence is more than just being given a privileged position. Preeminence is not just having a place. Preeminence is not just having a prominent place or a privileged position. But to be preeminent is to be over all and above all. That's the place the Apostle Paul wants to Give rightfully, deservedly to the Lord Jesus. He is the one who is preeminent. It is speaking to us about his total supremacy. The Lord Jesus Christ is over all and above all. And in all things he must have the preeminence. And just by way of thinking about the preeminence of Christ. It's revealed to us here in the portion of Scripture that we have read together. Just looking at some of the titles and the description that is given of the Savior, you can see how the Apostle is wanting to uplift the Lord Jesus. He's wanting to reveal his royalty and his majesty. You look, for example, at verse 13. And at the end of verse 13, it speaks about his dear son. You see those words that Paul uses in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's his dear son. In other words, it's speaking here about God's dear son. Those words could also be translated the son of his love. Oh, he's God's dear son. He's the son of his love. And twice over in the New Testament scriptures, you would have the voice from heaven concerning the Lord Jesus. And the father is saying, this is my beloved son. He's God's beloved son. The dear son whom he loved. Yet he spared not his own son. But he delivered him up for us all. But you see how Paul is showing us here something of who Christ is, the person of Christ. He's his dear son. Then you look there at the verse 15 
of our Bible reading. And again, in reference to the Savior, he says, who is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. And the word image there has to do with being identical, being a precise copy. He is the image of the invisible God. Sometimes within the family, whenever there would be uh, sons and daughters, and some people uh, meet the sons and daughters, and they say, my, you're your father's image, or you're your mother's image. You're, you're just identical. You're their double. That's the thought here. That his dear son, he's the image of the invisible God. Over in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse 3. And again, the Apostle Paul referring to Christ, he says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And he uses the term there, the express image. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. And he's the express image of the Father. And so you can see how Paul is exalting the Savior. He's giving him these titles and these descriptions. And so he's God's dear Son. And he's the image of the invisible God. And verse 15 goes on to say, He's the firstborn of every creature. Sometimes... There's controversy around this particular expression. The firstborn of every creature. Some would say that this implies that the Lord Jesus Christ was a creature rather than the creator. And that he himself was a created being and created as the first of the beings. And here he's the firstborn of every creature. Well, that term firstborn... It's not in relation to time. It's in relation to importance. And again, it is Paul showing there the preeminence of the Savior. And he is the first, as it were, in relation to importance. He's the first in time as well. For he's from everlasting and to everlasting. So he was before all things. But here we see him by way of importance. He's being lifted up. He's the supreme one. He is the most high. In fact, if you were in any doubt that he's the creator, you just have to look at the following verse, verse 16. And Paul says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And you could go on to verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. Isn't it similar to what the Apostle John was teaching when he wrote uh, the fourth gospel? And in John chapter 1, he speaks there of the word. And then he says in verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by him. 
And without him was not anything made that was made. We look tonight to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul is describing him. And we say he's God's dear son. And he's the express image of the invisible God. And he's the firstborn of all the creatures. And he's the great creator. And there's the Lord Jesus Christ who is the preeminent one. And so you can see the train of thought and the theme that the apostle is giving here in this particular letter to the Colossians. He's wanting to establish the preeminence of Christ. And in the mind of those Colossians who were facing all kinds of difficulties and problems there. He's telling them to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to see in him the one who is the preeminent one. The one who is worthy of all honor. And he's worthy of all praise and he's worthy of all glory. That in all things... He must have the preeminence. Then we think about the preeminence of Christ in various areas and various truths. And just tonight thinking about the first of those areas. And we say this evening that he is preeminent in conversion. The conversion of the soul, the salvation of the soul. Paul is showing us here at the outset that Christ is preeminent in that work. We could take those first two verses that we read together, verses 13 and 14. And really that would be sufficient this evening just to show us the preeminence of Christ in conversion. And there are words that appear in those two verses that really show to us what the Savior has done for us to show how preeminent he is in conversion. You look at verse 13, and Paul writes of the Lord, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And just taking that word there, delivered. He hath delivered us. And you can see that this is a work that only the Lord Jesus Christ himself is able to do. He delivers us. That word delivered there, it means to rescue. To rescue from danger. It means to be be snatched away. To be drawn away from that which endangers us. And it's only the Lord himself who can do that. He delivers us. And the verse says he delivered us from the power of darkness. The power of darkness. It's a reference to the domain of darkness. Or the kingdom of darkness. And there is a domain in which the unsaved soul resides. They're under the power of darkness. They're in the kingdom of darkness. That is their domain. And they're in danger. Jonathan Edwards. I'm 
sure you've heard of the classic sermon that he preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Then that sermon he said, Those in darkness are exposed to destruction. And he went on to say, Sudden, unexpected destruction. And so when you think of what the Lord has done for us by way of deliverance, he's delivered us from the danger, he's delivered us from the darkness, he has delivered us from destruction. And my, it's only the Lord who is able to do that. That's the work of the Savior. Whenever Paul was writing to Timothy, in 2 Timothy the chapter 4 And in the verse 17, he said, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And there was the apostle testifying of how he was delivered from the danger. He says, it's out of the mouth of the lion. And you can understand the danger that he refers to there. Verse 18 of that chapter, he goes on to say, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. That deliverance continues. He'll deliver me from every evil work. If you know the Lord's Prayer, In the Lord's Prayer, you actually pray for such deliverance. In the Lord's Prayer, there's a petition. And it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from evil. And that's what the Apostle Paul is testifying of there. And so when we speak about the Lord's deliverance, and it is the work of the Lord... It's a work there whereby he saves us and rescues us from the danger, but he preserves us and he keeps us. There's a protection there from the evil. Deliver us from evil. If we're left to ourselves, we would turn aside into bypath meadows. But we pray, Lord, deliver us. And that's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preeminent in that work. Deliverance. You look at our Bible reading, that verse 13 again, and the second part of it, not only deliverance there from the power of darkness, but he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Translated us. That word translated there, it is to do with a change in position and and place. It is to do with moving from one place to another place. It is to do with coming from one kingdom into another kingdom. Here he's showing it's from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's the translation. That's what the Lord has done for us. He has changed our condition and he has changed our very place. He has changed our state. 
If you were to think of how that word would really be used, there's an Old Testament illustration of it when you think of the children of Israel and there they were in bondage in Egypt to the Egyptians. They cried unto the Lord by reason of their taskmasters and the Lord heard their cry and the Lord delivered them. And the Lord brought them out of Egypt. He changed their condition and he changed their place. In a negative way, it happened to them when they were carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. There was, they were translated from being in the promised land to being taken into Assyria, the land of the Babylonians. Change of state and a change of place. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 13, there's actually the use of that word that's translated in Colossians. But in Acts 13 and the verse 22, it's in relation to King Saul. And here Luke writes in the book of Acts, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. And so in reference to King Saul, it says the Lord removed him. That's the same word. Translate it. Change of place, a change of state. This is what the Lord has done for his people spiritually. He has translated us. He has brought us from one state into another state. From one place into another place. It's from darkness to light. It's from slavery to freedom. It's from condemnation to justification. It's from the power of sin and Satan onto God. That's the work of our Savior. And he is preeminent in that work. The preeminence of Christ in conversion. He has delivered us. He has translated us. Look at verse 14 of our Bible reading. In whom we have redemption through his blood. We can say here, he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. That's a familiar word to us. That's a word that's often on our lips, whether we're praising the Lord with the hymns that we were singing tonight. Some of them spoke about redemption. Whether we're praying to the Lord and we're thanking him for that great work accomplished on Calvary. Here's a word that we often use, that word redemption. And it means to release by the paying of a ransom. The paying of a price. It is to be bought back. It's like the slave at the market. And they would have been familiar with this particular term. The price that was put upon their head. And if one would come and pay that price, they would be redeemed. They would be bought back. And that's the word that carries over here into the gospel message spiritually because we were slaves to sin and Satan. And a price that had to be paid to satisfy divine justice. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ going to Calvary. And he paid the price. And he is preeminent in conversion. Because he has delivered us and he's translated us and he has redeemed us. And he has redeemed us as this verse says through his blood. 
through his blood. The payment of the price. The apostle said to the Corinthians, we are bought with a price. We're not our own. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which is his. And he is preeminent in the work of conversion. You can see it with these very terms that the apostle is using. Just as we finish off tonight, there's another word there in verse 14. It's that word forgiveness. Forgiveness. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Christ is preeminent in that work. That word forgiveness, it means to cancel out. It means to send away. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He has sent them away. He has cancelled them out. We've been pardoned on the ground of his precious blood. And we're undeserving of that. We were guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinners. Deserving of the wrath of God. Yet we've been pardoned. We've been forgiven. Colossians and Ephesians are very similar in many ways. And you would find verses in each of those epistles that are very similar, if not the same. And whenever the apostle was writing to the Ephesians in chapter 1 and the verse 7, you would almost have the identical verse here, the same words coming, of course, from the same pen. And what Paul said to the Colossians, he said to the Ephesians, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But then he added something else. And he said to the Ephesians, according to the riches of his grace. That's what it's according to tonight. It's according to the riches of his grace. It's nothing in us. The word grace, as you know, is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. That's what we have received in salvation. So we've been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ and we've been forgiven. It's only on the basis of his grace, his undeserved and unmerited favor. And so do you see tonight, and we we want to leave it there so that you can dwell upon this great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is preeminent in the conversion of the sinner. There's no one else. No one else could deliver us. No one else could translate us. No one else could redeem us. No one else could forgive us. But his dear son, preeminent in conversion. May the Lord bless these thoughts to our hearts this evening. We'll turn to a few verses of a hymn. And it's the hymn 385 for anyone using the book when I saw the cleansing fountain open wide for all my sin 
I obeyed the Spirit's 